0: Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoy this week's homily. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Beekner said this in his daily meditations, listening to your life. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Uh, just yesterday, a tragedy struck down in San Diego as the Poe Synagogue was shot at. Uh, people were shot as they worshiped. In the synagogue, this not six months after what happened in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue. We spent some time six months ago praying for and writing down on cards that we left for the Jewish synagogue that actually meets in here, in this space. We left them on the piano, and Rabbi Rachel expressed just a tremendous amount of appreciation and thanks to that. This week, as she was reflect or yesterday, as she was reflecting upon what happened down in San Diego, she wrote to her community and she said, Is this a pattern that we have to get used to? Just a week ago, we spent some time pausing during our Easter celebration, during our Easter worship, our excitement and our our wonder and our awe at this resurrected Christ. We paused to pray. For our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka, who were needlessly massacred, over 200 people. In in fact, one of the people lamented in Sri Lanka and said, we thought that this would be the first innocent generation of children. The first generation of people that did not experience war or murder in a systematic level in our country. That innocence was robbed. That innocence was destroyed and lost. Just yesterday, we had our own tragedy here within the city. Not on the same level as those others, but a crane falling down randomly. A massive accident that killed four people. Hate, vengeance, random accidents all of this death, all of this destruction. And here we are as a people sitting in the wake of Easter, of what has come to be known as Tide. We sit in the wake of this story of hope, this story of new creation, this story of beauty that has emerged. And we have questions. Is this... Easter tide. Is this what new creation looks like? Is this what we have been hoping for? Because it doesn't feel like it. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. I love you. Breathe with me. Can you hear it? Can you hear that call of God? I love you. I love you. I love you. we're stepping into a new series called Insurgents, where we're taking a look through the entire Gospel of Mark. But what's fascinating about the Gospel of Mark is that this is what the early Christians did in the wake of Easter. As the resurrection had occurred and all of this new hope, this new possibility spread, Sprung forth, these early Christians gathered together and sat around wondering what it meant for them. As the world around them was literally going to hell, falling apart, as still death reigned supreme, as oppression and powers continued to push down upon them as a people, they sat in this room and began to think, what is This, what does this mean for us? And so what they did was they rooted themselves in the stories of Jesus. In the wake of Easter, they sat in that space and they wrestled. Who is this Jesus really? He must be who we thought he was, but he's more than that. Let's, let's rethink our entire understanding of who this Jesus is in this Easter tide, in this wake of new hope, and in this wake of resurrection. They wanted to remember and understand what Jesus was all about. And in the midst of that, move forward. To step forward into this new reality, to step forward into this new thing and here we have this gospel of mark which was written probably 20 years after 20 years after the resurrection of jesus it was written by a man named mark right it's written by a man named mark who was living in rome he was living in rome and he was writing this letter to these roman christians the Christians that had been on this, like, had been dispersed throughout the empire. As the movement, as the word of Jesus had continued to spread throughout the Roman Empire, here was Mark sitting at the center of all power. In this city where everything influenced the world. He sat there and he wrote this gospel. Now, Rome at this time was a really fascinating place because it was ruled by this guy named Nero from about 54 to 68 before he killed himself, before he took his own life. Nero's a fascinating character. He's a really fascinating leader, Emperor Caesar. In fact, he was a paranoid sort of man. The the minute he attained power, the minute that he ascended to the throne as emperor, he murdered his mother. He murdered his mother because he was afraid that she was going to figure out a way to subvert his power. And not only subvert his power, but to in fact remove him from the throne. He also went about systematically killing anyone that got close to him that he thought would challenge his power that he thought would take it away and remove it. In about 64 AD, Rome caught fire. And historians kind of argue back and forth about whether or not Nero set the fire himself. It's kind of, "Eh, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. At this point in time, Nero was going a little batty, a little crazy, so to speak. And as he was losing his mind quite literally... As he was losing his mind, he decided that this fire, there's only one proper scapegoat. There's only one proper people that we must lay the burning of our great and glorious and wonderful city at their feet. The Christians. And so Nero began the systemic and systematic persecution of Christians throughout Rome. He would quite literally capture them, arrest them, and then throw them in the center of the Colosseum. He would put them there to battle the great beasts of the day, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. They were quite literally stripped flesh from flesh as they were mauled and eaten and attacked. And this wasn't just a small number of Christians, but in fact, this grew exponentially. As he continued to capture more, hundreds and hundreds of Christians were thrown to the wolves. But he didn't stop there. Nero wanted to make a statement A statement that he was the only one worthy of worship. That he was the true God of the empire. And so what Nero did was he took these Christians, whom many considered to be these terrible and horrible human beings. He took them and not only did he once again capture them, but then he would burn them at the stake He took them and he would burn them at the stake, but he didn't just burn them at the stake. He would quite literally place them in his garden to light it up at night as he would throw parties. The soundtrack of his parties were the screams and the cries of these Christians being murdered, being killed, being thwarted. This is the suffering. This is the pain that Mark is writing to. These are the people that Mark is saying, hey, let's talk about this Jesus. Let's root ourselves in this story. As you experience this tremendous amount of grief, As you experience this tremendous amount of suffering and pain, as we together are terrified, as we are victims of hate, as we are victims of violence, as we endure such tremendous pain and tremendous suffering, and even what sometimes seems to be random acts of violence. Let us root in this story of Jesus. And so he begins his gospel. Mark chapter 1 Verse 1, he begins his gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. These people who are terrified get this letter. In the wake of resurrection, wondering if this thing is really, really going to happen, if this thing is really, really true. The beginning. The beginning. The beginning. What is so beautiful about that word beginning is that this is 20 years post. 20 years post-resurrection. Beginning. Now. There is so much more good news to come. There is so much more good news to be had. This is only now just beginning. Our story does not end here. Our story does not have this horrible, awful, no-good streak within it that will never change this is the beginning. These are the systems and structures, the power and oppression, the fear, the suffering and the pain. This may be our present reality. This may be our current state of events, our current state of affairs, but it is not our story. It is not the end. It is not a period. It is a comma. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is what it reads Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. They begin their story. Mark begins this story of Jesus saying good news three times. And whenever somebody repeats a word, it's usually something you kind of want to pay attention to, right? Three times in the very first chapter of Mark, he says the good news. And when he uses it in the words of Jesus, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news What's so beautiful about this is this word near. Near. If you have a physical Bible, I know everybody uses digital now, but just circle it. Just circle it just for me because it's such a fun thing to do. The word near, that the kingdom of God has come near, that this is what good news is. That God has come near to us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of being thwarted by power. God's kingdom has actually come near to us. What's really fun about this is the very next word is repent. And this has such a really bad connotation in our society, mainly because we see the men and women down at Safeco Field, well, T-Mobile Park now. <laughs> That's going to take a while. And CenturyLink with their sign saying, repent, repent, and they're screaming out of their bullhorns and they're yelling at you, repent, repent, repent. That it's become this sort of bad moniker of what does that, like it feels so hateful and judgmental of a word. But the word repent is actually just turn around, turn around, turn around. And what's fascinating about this is right here. The kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus is proclaiming, turn around and look. Believe this good news. It's right behind you. Just turn around and believe this good news, this gospel that has come, that God is near all of your pain and all of your suffering and all of your affliction to all of the power and oppression that is present in our society. Just turn around and see that God is actually near, that he is making inroads, that he is pushing into this world to make it new again. Repent and come near. Repent and believe that God is near. Again, Mark is such a fascinating, fascinating letter. Because before this, he tells this story of Jesus' baptism, of Jesus being baptized and then tested in the wilderness. And what happens during this baptism is Quite fascinating. He uses the word torn. He uses this word torn in the midst of this. Now, in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus is being baptized, and as he comes up out of the water, Mark says the skies tore open. Like the kingdom of God ripped into this world. God made himself present and known as he moved in and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. God tore open the sky as a dove descended down. He tore into this world that God coming near to us is actually an inbreaking of goodness, an inbreaking of beauty, an inbreaking of all of the things that we long for. It's an inbreaking of Easter. It's an inbreaking of new creation. An inbreaking of possibility and hope, hope. And in it all, can you hear God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. This is the great coming near the great coming near in our world. Beekner said, all of Jesus, he said, all his lifelong, wherever Jesus looked, he saw the world not in terms of simply of its brokenness, a patchwork of light and dark calling forth in us now, our light, now our dark, but in terms of the ultimate mystery of God's presence buried in it like a treasure buried in the field. Wherever Jesus looked, he saw the world not in terms simply of its brokenness, Jesus proclaimed good news wherever he went. And after these moments of Jesus saying, the time has come, the very first words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. He calls disciples and he says, come do this with me. Come join me in this. Let's go out and bring this good news to the world. Let's be a part of this inbreaking in the world around us. And then the very first thing he does is he drives out impure spirits. He goes and he casts out demons. He goes and he begins to heal people left and right. Because the next story is Jesus heals many. Jesus then says, this is what good news is. We're going to take these systems and these structures and these powers and these authorities and we're going to push them out because I reign supreme. Jesus stepping into it all. Jesus saying this is what it is about. Because you and I, we are an Easter people. You and I, we are an Easter people. We are a part of a new kingdom. We are a part of an insurgence into this world. You and I are a part of something new, something beautiful that is breaking in, that is breaking forth into this world. Where the systems, structures, powers, the authorities, the rulers, the suffering and the pain in this world can be a thing of the past. We get to be the people that change it all. We are an Easter people. We are the insurgents. There's this great tension of the already. Uh, There's this tension of this already nature of Jesus, of what he did of what he came to do, that we live as an Easter people in the wake of the resurrection, but yet it has not been fulfilled completely. And there have been people that have said, well, it's because Christians have yet to rise up and do the work of what Jesus roots us in. Maybe, possibly, I can't quite disagree But there's this sense that Jesus is still, we're waiting for him to return. We're waiting for his return, that the fullness of all of this, the fullness of the Easter tide, will be our reality forevermore. But we get to be a part of that. We are the people, we as an Easter people are stepping into this reality to create newness wherever we go and with whatever we have. The Bishop of El Salvador back in the 60s and 70s, his name was Oscar Romero. And Oscar Romero preached quite a bit about the powers and the structures of society and how it continued to push down the poor, how it continued to oppress people and keeping them separate as, as oligarchs kind of ruled the country back in the day. Oscar Romero was assassinated for what he preached and what he continued to talk about as he preached about this insurgence of the kingdom of God, this insurgence of Jesus coming into the world anew and how we as his followers, we as his people, need to step into that as well. That we need to be an Easter people all the time wherever we go. In his book, The Violence of Love, He wrote, To be a Christian now means to have the courage to preach the true teaching of Christ and not be afraid of it, not be silent out of fear and preach something easy that won't cause problems. To be a Christian in this hour means to have the courage that the Holy Spirit gives, to be valiant soldiers of Christ the King, to make his teachings prevail, to reach hearts and proclaim them with the courage that one must have to defend God's law. To be a Christian in this hour, to be a Christian in this day, to be a Christian in this time, means to boldly proclaim this gospel of love this kingdom that has come near, this kingdom that is breaking into this world, that is destroying the strongholds of power and oppression, of suffering, of pain, of rulers and authorities and of principalities. To proclaim that with boldness, with courage, and to be a people that come near as God's kingdom comes near. We are an Easter people living in the wake of newness, living in the wake of change. We stand in the tide of resurrection. And as we stand in that tide, let it wash over us. And as it washes over us, let us step forward boldly proclaiming, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Let us be those people. Now, in five minutes from now, in two days from now, till forevermore. Father, thank you. Thank you for this tremendous gospel. This tremendous gospel of comfort in the midst of suffering. This tremendous gospel that roots us deep in your story of the goodness of your Son, of what it is that he came to do, and how it is that he turned the tide of this world. Father, may we be a people, an Easter people, that proclaim to this world unabashedly and unashamedly of your love, of your power of your grace, of your goodness and your mercy. And Father, in the midst of it all, in the midst of that space, may we be a people that do the work of change, of newness, of hope, and of possibility. It's in your Son's name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.